Greetings in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Welcome to the Power Hour. We are happy to see you here. All of us, from the front to the back, we get to hear the Word of God. Uh, can somebody remove the, the Zoom? Thank you. We are here to hear the Word of the Lord. And my prayer always, when I stand up here, is that whether you are a guest, a member, whether you are a parent, a single, whether you are familiar with the teachings or not, the prayer that Pastor Henry and myself have is that when you walk out of this place, you leave with something that you can build on. That is what inspired, in the heart and the mind of Pastor Henry, the idea of becoming. Last month, what you see up on the screen was the title of the series, Becoming, the cross and people around it. The idea was that in order to grow as a Christian or as somebody who's adopting the faith, you must have a mindset that says, I'm moving from one thing to another, that it's a journey. And we did our best to uh, encapsulate the cross experience and the people around it. And so we went back to the drawing board and we thought, what can be the theme for the month of May? And so the idea that came up was, from Pastor Henry again, becoming more. Becoming more. I added the bottom part, the aftermath. The idea is, what were people like before the cross? What did they become after? And so what we're going to do is, we are going to make use of the book of Acts over the next month to isolate some people that can help us understand why it's not enough just to become. You must become more. Becoming is great. It's a process. In fact, it almost looks like the, gra the, the curve of compounding. It begins slowly. It's hard work. You've got to put in a lot. But as you compound and compound, eventually it starts to go up. That's what the walk of a believer should be. You should not become less. You must become more. I want to be honest with you. This is going to be set the bar high type of messages. Because when you wander into the book of Acts, you are not encountering weak, lily-livered men and women. You are encountering people that went against the odds to become more. The message today is entitled, Of God. Of God. The, 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 the media team was struggling with what that meant. But that's all right. Maybe that's why they're punishing me with the Zoom thing. I can promise you that this gentleman on the screen did not build that arm with the dumbbell that is in his hand right now. See, everybody talks about going to the gym. I see you guys posting your little five-minute workout, right? When you start, you can start with five kgs. I've got five kg dumbbells at my house. I've had them for four years. And I haven't moved on to 10 or 15, just five, Pastor. Right? Now, when you begin, your body gets into shock. It starts feeling the weight. But after a while, it starts to feel like feathers. 
And you can't do that. You got to become? Okay, maybe this is not a workout group of people. I'm all for education. I'm all for everybody getting education, knowing more than you do. But when you get to a certain age, you got to get out of the elementary classroom. Unless, of course, before I get cancelled, you've got some sort of condition that makes you... What's the, what's the, what's the politically correct term for somebody who's... Okay, he said it, not me, right? And you need to be in that classroom. But at some point, you got to become... Okay, that, that's not working. Okay, so not, no gym, no education. Let's try the topic that everybody loves. All right? You've been dating with this girl for three, four years, and you think, you know what? It's time. You create this elaborate scheme. By the way, it is very bold as a man to create boards like that before you propose. I'm just going to say that. So you create this moment. You propose to this lady. You go on Instagram. She puts it up. He asked. He puts it up. She said yes. And then you are engaged for 10 years. 10-year engagement. Listen to me. Some people were not even stopped by the pandemic. What is stopping you? Do you know how long 10 years is? That's a decade. That's 120 months. What are you waiting for? You do know that your wedding doesn't have to be uh, uh, crazy rich Asians, right? You can just go to the court, stand in front of the pastor, and it's done. You got to become? That's all I got for you as far as illustrations. The bottom line is you've got to become more. Here's a statement that bridges the month of April with the month of May, and then I'm going to get into the text for this morning. The statement says, in the process of becoming, you will want to know God. In the process of becoming more, you want to be of God. I'll explain what being of God is when you read the text with me. So let's jump into the book of Acts right now. Get your Bibles out. We are in Acts chapter 5. I really wanted to start with Acts chapter 1 because you really can't jump into the rest of the book without talking about the Holy Spirit and his impact in that generation or in that period of time. But because of choosing a character that counted, I was drawn to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, I'm reading from verse 29, and today I'm reading from the English Standard Version. And here's what it says. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, who is they? See, Peter and John were different from what they were before the cross. Before the cross, they were power-hungry and chasers of greatness. But after the cross, they were more than willing to become more, not for themselves, but for Christ. And so the Bible says at the beginning of Acts chapter 5, in fact chapter 4, that when Peter and John and the rest of the apostles are preaching, the priests begin to push back. 
On the first time when the Spirit fell on them, Peter preached and 3,000 people came to the Lord. The next day he did it again, 5,000 people came. And so the Sanhedrin noticed something is happening. We thought if we killed their leader, they would scatter like rats and jump off the ship. But instead, the death of Jesus did not kill the Christian faith, it empowered it. His death empowered it. His resurrection empowered his followers. And so when Jesus ascends to heaven, he gives them a charge and says, Go ye therefore and preach and baptize and create disciples for me. Do this until I come back. And so Peter, who spoke before he thought, has now taken up this charge upon himself. I denied Jesus three times. I'm going to preach three times more. And so the Bible says they didn't preach in private. They didn't preach at night. In the daytime, they went right to the temple in Jerusalem and they began to talk about Jesus. The Bible says they get arrested. They break out of prison, go right back where they were preaching and they preach again. These men were not afraid. These men were driven. They had, a, they, they had something they didn't have before. And so this text is that second encounter. The temple guards have gone back to get them. They've brought them to the Sanhedrin, and so what we are reading comes from that. Let's go on. Verse 33, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a while. Verse 35, and he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do to these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody. And a number of men, about 400 joined him. He was killed and all who followed him were scattered or dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. Now pay attention to verse number 38 and 39. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men. Leave them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of men, it will If it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. And so they took his advice. And when they called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. <laughs> Verse 41. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer the dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not stop teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. I get it. We're not excited about these things because preaching is the job of the pastor. Preaching and teaching is for the elders. We are just here to sit, to listen, and go about our business, man. But God says, it's not enough to become. You need to become more. Amen, somebody. I told you, I'm here to set the bar high, not only for you, but for myself. There's a comfortability that Christianity has reached in this generation. The things we fight against, the things we fight for, have nothing to do with Christ. 
And so the passage today is going to give us the environment in which God has called us to be more. Number one. Number two, I'm going to give you the gift that God is offering to you in order to become more. Let me say that again. Number one, I want to point out the environment that you have to become more. And then I want to give you the gift of how you can do that. And only God is able to do it. Number one, let's talk about the Messiah. Does anybody here know who the Messiah is? Really? Do you think I'm tricking you? Does anybody here know who the Messiah is? Say it out loud. See, the, 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 the thing that the disciples had to do, they had to promote somebody that was unpopular. For you, he's popular now. It's okay to say his name. Who is the Messiah? The disciples had to do it at the threat of death. The Bible says the people couldn't understand why do they preach like this. And the chapter 4 says these men had been with Jesus. They had spent so much time with him. Yeah, they were confused. They were proud. They were all over the place. But that time they spent with him, something happened. Because I told you, when you come, you become. The question is what? The more you engage with spiritual things, the more you listen to the word of God, the more you sing those praise and worship songs and those hymns, the more you come into the things of the Lord, you become something. The question is what do you become? We know that every single one of the disciples, including Brother Jay, became something. Judas became more than what God wanted him to, and even he couldn't handle the more, and he committed suicide. But the other 11 said, we will begin to listen to God from now onwards. And the Bible said, they began to uh, speak one language, but people heard them in different languages. They became so bold that even the Sanhedrin was afraid of them. All this time, Jesus was preaching. All they did was stand at the back of him like his crew, saying nothing, doing nothing. But now they've stepped into the spotlight because they have become something. Peter begins his speech before the church board, I'm sorry, before the Sanhedrin, and he says to them, it is better to obey God than to obey men. Do you understand where Peter was standing? Peter's not standing before a church board. Peter is standing before the equivalent of the, the senate of the state, who happen to be religious people. And he says to these rule makers, it is better to obey God than to obey man. In fact, Peter used the expression, we must. Do you understand what that means? There's a statement up on the screen I want to help you see. I'm sorry, that's black, it should be white. Black is beautiful, but not always. When obedience is not just a compelling argument of the mind, but the longing of the heart, you have become more. Let me break it down. For a lot of us, obedience is a struggle between the flesh and the mind. You are trying to convince yourself, don't call her, don't call her, don't, don't buy those shoes, don't buy those shoes. You know you're not supposed to. We are always struggling with our mind, but it's never a question of the heart. When you obey from the mind, you are always negotiating with God. When you obey from the heart, you are desperate to do what is right. Joseph obeyed from the heart. David obeyed from the mind. When you obey from the heart, you will look at somebody in power and say, you know what? I'm willing to lose my job. I'm willing to suffer for this. That's where these men were. I told you, I'm setting the bar high for everybody. 
It's not about standing in front of a church and telling people off. This doesn't make me bold. We belong to the same thing. It's during the week when we encounter people that don't know or respect Jesus. Are you where you're supposed to be? We must obey God, not men. Obedience must come from the heart and not just the mind because that's when you become the thing that God wants you to be. And this is only possible in an environment where you spend time with Jesus. Amen, somebody. When you spend time with Christ, there's a boldness that comes with it. Abraham Lincoln did all he did because he spent time on his knees. One day, as the South and the North were fighting, he spent so much time on his knees praying about unity that he froze in that position. Men and women throughout history, the Mother Teresas, all these people, they spend time with Christ and they turn the world upside down. And yet, we cannot spend 30 minutes with Jesus. But we can do 13 episodes, 59 hours each, every Saturday, every day of the week. The next environment that we get to become more is in the presence of the messed up. Not the Messiah, but the messed up. Who are the messed up people? Before we outline who they are, I want you to know that sometimes the messed up person is you. I'm sorry, is you. Is, is me? Is us. Me, you, and everybody else. We are the messed up person. I want you to, first of all, process it. Don't be sitting there and thinking, oh, I know somebody who's a Pharisee. I know somebody who compromises. No, let's talk about you. You are messed up. In fact, God chooses messed up people. He gives them a message to help other messed up people. Ain't nobody messed up in here like me. The Bible says that the apostles had to encounter people who were not driven by the Spirit of God, but were driven by pride, were driven by the need to be seen, to be heard, and to be praised. And among them were the Pharisees, the priests, and the Sadducees. These men were upset that they were becoming popular, that they, these poor fishermen from Galilee who couldn't even speak the language that was intellectual and profound, and yet they could persuade people. They were uncomfortable with this. Force did not work. Bribery did not work. And so now they want to silence them. And Peter says, we would rather obey God than you. And the Bible says they became enraged. It's one thing to say that somebody's angry. But when it leads to rage, it means not only do they not like you, but they want you to stop living. They want to kill you. They want you to die right where you stand. I want to say something to somebody seated in the room right now. Be careful what you are offended by when you listen to a sermon being preached. Because sometimes the thing that offends you might be the thing that you need. Because you must understand that in A.D. 70, because of the priests and the Sadducees, the Romans attacked Jerusalem. And not only did they crucify those who were dissenters and those who rebelled, the, the, the crosses in Jerusalem were so many that to get between them, you had to walk sideways. Because they rejected Jesus, he rejected them. Many lives were lost because the leaders were offended and proud that Jesus was being talked about. So one more time. Be careful what offends you about the gospel. Amen, somebody. It is messed up to think that somebody comes and stands in front of you just to make you feel bad. Who am I at the end of the day? The gospel is intended to change us, not offend us. So the priests were, were messed up. But then Gamaliel, let me, let, me, let me introduce you to who Gamaliel is. 
Everybody knows the Apostle Paul. Everything that Paul knew about the law, everything that Paul understood about Judaism and everything he knew about the Torah and everything that the Pharisees were aspiring to, he sat at the feet of Gamaliel. This same man is honored and respected among the Sanhedrin and the Jewish people. While everybody else is enraged and wants to kill this guy, everybody's sending comments and unfollowing. Gamaliel says, everybody press pause. How do we know? that these men are not of God. Two other people came, Theodos and Judas. They tried to cause problems with the Romans. They got killed and the followers disappeared. How do we know that these men are not of God? I want to say to somebody right now, be careful who you follow. Be careful who you follow. I have a problem, and this is going to sound weird. I love it when I see empty seats in the room. I am very uncomfortable when a room is full because I know everybody else becomes comfortable. Pastor, by training we know a church should never be more than 80% full because it means there's work to do. And so because the place is full, it's time to expand. People are like, mm, I ain't going anywhere, but mm, I'm going to be right here next Sabbath. Right? That's fine. But here's my point. When somebody sees a full room, they may have the mistaken idea that actually doing the right thing. Theodos and Judas managed to get 400 people to follow them, to fight against the Romans. But the moment the leader died, the movement ended. How do you know something is of God? I'm going to let you know. Don't judge somebody by the crowd that follows them. Judge them by what crowds their heart. Don't look at somebody on Instagram putting motivational quotes and Bible texts and assume that, ooh, they got 500,000 people. They must love Jesus. That's not always the case. But then again, numbers are not always bad. Numbers can be an indication that God is working. But I'm saying to you, be careful not to follow somebody because of the numbers that are behind them. Watch out for the crowd that is in their heart. So let me talk about Gamaliel. I've read this text for 20 years. Even did a series on the book of Acts one time. But I never really looked at the text closely. I looked at what he did and thought, he's a good dude. He's looking out for the cause of Christ. But then I realized something, that as he's speaking, he says something that sounds kind, but we don't know how it played out, because this is the last time we hear from this man. He says, let's stand back and see what happens. So pastor, he has a wait and see attitude about all of this. Do you know what I think convinced Gamaliel to step forward? When he saw Nicodemus donating enough herbs and spices for a king for Jesus to be buried. When he heard Nicodemus standing up for Christ and them wanting to kill him. When he saw Joseph donating his tomb, which by the way, the spices were never used. The tomb was only used for three days. But these men were willing to give. And so he's thinking, we are part of the same Sanhedrin. What am I missing? There's something going on. And so he says to himself, let's all wait and see. But I want to say something to somebody present today. In the process of becoming more, wait and see is a very dangerous proposition. There are people that we've studied with here and in other countries who've said, Pastor, I agree. I understand what you're saying. It sounds true. I have no logical arguments against it. But let me wait and see what the Lord says to me next year. Here's the problem with wait and see. Wait and see can be a, a season of consideration. Ladies, you do know 
that no matter how many cameras are on you, no matter how many fam family members are present, if he proposes, you don't have to say yes. You can say, let's wait and see. It's not a no. Let's wait and see. But don't wait too long. But at the same time, wait and see is just a confirmation of your blindness. See, a lot of us love to wait and see, not because we are considering what the Spirit is saying. We are just so happy with the way things are right now. We know that the moment we say amen to what the pastor has said, now you have to do it. And so when pastor says, would you say amen? You're like, mm, 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 I'm with you, pastor. Head nod, head nod. Wait and see is dangerous. Maybe, maybe let me explain it this way. There's a difference between waiting while you see and wait and see. There are people who've accepted Christ. They're in the faith. They're living their best life. They're, they're, they're managing moment by moment. They don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. But by faith, they wait while they see. Okay, maybe that's, that's not the thing. Let me go to the topic that I love so much and I know that you're uncomfortable with. Let's talk about marriage. I, I love talking about marriage. In fact, the more uncomfortable people get, the more I talk about it. Bernard, right? Those Wednesday, Wednesday sessions, you can tell I love talking about it, right? But just because I talk about it doesn't mean I figured it out. The more I talk about it, the more I... Okay, I, I just had a moment by myself. So let's talk about marriage. Sometimes couples struggle because one is waiting to see what the other will do to be a better wife or a husband before they can respond. So you fold your arms. When she starts cooking, I'll take out the trash. When she says good morning, I'll tell her I love her. When she buys me flowers, I'll buy her flowers. That's weird. Wait and see is not about folding your arms like dude on the screen and waiting to see, God, God bless me first, then I'll be faithful. Oh no, step out and let the waters open for you by faith. God has already done enough to prove himself. The question is, what are you willing to do? So brothers and sisters, be careful with wait and see. Amen. Amen. So let me give you the formula real quick. I, I don't want to preach for too long. Let me give you the formula real quick. What is it? that God is willing to do for you in order for you to become more? What is it that God is willing to do so that you become of God? As always, I like to create symmetry. I like to create something that you can remember. Three things that God does that are reflected up on the screen. The first one, I call it possession. Are you possessed by God? Are you possessed by the Spirit of God. Paul says, the student of Gamaliel says, in Colossians chapter 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. I live, but not I, but Christ lives in me. That is a man that is possessed by Christ. In order to be of God, God has to be inside of you. You cannot be running from God and expecting to do the things of God. The questions you ask reveal whether God is inside of you or not. The type of life you lead is evidence of whether God is inside of you. These men and women, a lot of women and children, were so possessed by the Spirit of God that they endangered their own lives for the cause. While everybody was running out of town and dispersing, some of the women were opening up their homes to give clothing and food and to create a space for worship. 
because they were possessed by the spirit of Christ. So to be of God means to be possessed. The second thing that being of God, God is saying, listen, I want to give you a portion of what I have. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11, again, the student of Gamaliel says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. In him we have an inheritance. So here's the process. When Christ possesses you, you become an adopted son, an adopted daughter of the kingdom of heaven. So even though you are from Malawi, even though you are Indonesian, you are Chinese, you are, you are from Mars, now that Christ is in you, you've become a citizen of heaven. So he has possessed you. That gives you an inheritance, the portion. People who are possessed don't only come to church. They take church home with them. People who are possessed don't listen to Beyonce in the, in the evening and go to church in the morning. People who are possessed spend more time in the word of God than in everything else. Are you with me? People who are possessed are kind and loving and patient and present. What is possessing you? What is it that has taken over your life? Are you sitting there thinking, who are you to tell me what you're saying? I don't like my children. I don't like my husband. I don't like my job. I don't like my life. What is it that you like? If you are possessed by Christ, you see yourself as a son of God. You see yourself as a daughter of God. You have a pride that doesn't come from the stuff you have, but from the one that has you. And then finally, to be of God is to have a power. I was trying to find the text that would describe what this power looks like, and I couldn't move past. Again, the student of Gamaliel. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. See, when you know him, that's becoming. But when you have the power of the resurrection, that's becoming more. I was trying to think, how do I illustrate this? And so I decided to prove that I'm no longer young. Does anybody know who that is? Did somebody below the age of 30 know who that was? That is impressive. Who is that? Let me ask you a question. Which one of these two is real? Which one is the real Michael Jackson? There's two types of people when it comes to celebrities and entertainment. There's people who know about celebrities. Some of you, if I lift you up right now and tell me, when was Taylor Swift born? Where did she study? How many siblings? How much money does she have? A lot of you know those things. But I want to tell you right now, you are not a true fan. You are a true fan when you get plastic surgery to look like the person. This brother right here, uh, his name, I forgot. <laughs> Michael? Michael who? Fakeson. Michael Fakeson. No, that's not his name. Don't, don't hate the game, hate the, don't hate the play, hate the game. Anyway, his job is to travel around the world performing like Michael Jackson. He puts on the perfume, the, perfume, the makeup, the clothing, and he gets paid to be Michael Jackson. He doesn't just know stuff about Michael. He is because everybody want to be like Mike. When you know God, that's not enough. 
But when you know the power of his resurrection, now you're saying, you know what, Jesus, I know enough about you. I want to be like you. On the other side is a young British kid. He's nine years old. He is the youngest Elvis impersonator. Nine years old. Gen Z knows about Elvis. There's a dedication that comes with immersing yourself about somebody else's life. I'm sorry, Gen Z. I, I, I don't know your artist today, nor do I care. So I went back, back to the 90s and the 80s, okay? When you have the power of God, it doesn't just give you the power to understand. It gives you the power to be. Let's talk about the mess. So we spoke about the Messiah, the one who makes it all possible. We talked about the messed up people that stop us from becoming more. But let's talk about the mess that you get yourself into. The text says that they were imprisoned, they were beaten, they were mistreated. Gamaliel has warned these men, we cannot kill them. But they want their pound of flesh, and so they whip them, and then they let them go. But the Bible says that they counted it all joy to suffer for the cause. If you don't remember anything else, remember this as part two of Pastor Henry's message. The message last week was the problem of following Jesus. This is part two. Following Jesus is a beautiful thing. It comes with peace. It comes with release. It comes with joy. It comes with all the things that God has promised you. But it also comes with mess. Because not everybody is going to support you. Not everybody is going to follow you. You want a million followers on social media? Don't follow Jesus. Don't post Bible verses. It ain't going to happen for you. You will be in a mess. But listen to this. If you don't have a stomach for the mess... You will never, ever have a heart for the message. Some people are not prepared to suffer for the Lord. The Bible says these men were happy to suffer for Christ. They watched him get crucified. They watched him get murdered. They were expecting the same thing, but they found joy in it. Again, it's a process. I'm not asking you to go to the street and talk about Jesus and talk against another religion. I'm saying start the journey of becoming more. Get possessed by the Spirit of God. Get your position and your portion in the kingdom of heaven. And finally, ask for a power that a pastor can give you, that an elder can give you, that a sermon can only give you if the Spirit is a part of it. And then you'll be able to handle the mess, the mess you create, the mess that other people create, the mess that the, the world throws against you. And then finally, we have the message. These men had spent time with the Messiah. They had to deal with messed up people. They had to go through the mess of following Jesus, but they never stopped preaching the message. The Bible says when they left that place, they went back to the temple and they went to people's homes because that, that thing that was inside of them, Paul says, the love of Christ compels me. I don't do it because I'm angry. I do it because I'm happy. I want you to experience what I've experienced. If I cry while I'm preaching, it's not because I'm sad. It's because I'm emotionally connected to what I'm saying. If I scream at you, I'm not screaming at you. I'm screaming with God to you. I'm hoping that you get the point. Don't come here, spend your time sitting, listening to the sermon, saying amen when you're forced to, and then you go about nothing happened. What is the point? Stop playing riverbank with the gospel. I'm in the world. No, I'm in the church. No, I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm in the world. You, you keep doing that. You're getting older, more grumpier, more angrier. And then by the time you are in your, in your deathbed, you ask yourself, what was it for? 
I'm done. How is it that the things of God have lasted so long? How is it that every single one of the disciples except one was persecuted, murdered for Christ, and yet Christianity survived? How is it that we have gone through the Spanish Inquisition? How is it that we have gone through persecution? How is it that we have gone through the Dark Ages? How is it that Christianity has survived so many translations of the Bible, some of them wrong and, 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 and deceptive? How is it that Christianity has survived the prosperity gospel, the hip-hop preachers? How is it that it has survived circular consumerism how is it that it has survived idols and celebrities claiming to love Jesus boxers knocking somebody else and saying I love God how has Christianity survived it has survived because it is not dependent on the crowd you do understand that God doesn't need you right he does, God doesn't get a, a, a points for you attending the worship service he is God it is not dependent on the loud I'm sorry that sometimes I scream into the microphone. That doesn't make the message more important. Being loud doesn't make the word of God go further. You can be a soft-spoken, mannered person, just chilled, and people will be saved. The message of Christ is not destroyed by the proud. I don't care how many people go up on stage, go on social media. I don't care how many people change a profile picture to the rainbow. I don't care how many people push forward social justice. At the expense of the gospel, the gospel will survive. The question is, are you going to survive? Are you going to be standing because God ain't going anywhere? He created you. He created everything about you. I don't care what you think you are. You are a child of God. If you are of God, you will survive whatever you're going through. Sometimes we think because of our trials that God doesn't love us. Oh no, you have God's undivided attention. You got marital problems, God's right there with you. You got health issues, God is right there with you. Your kids are acting the fool, God is closer to you than anybody else. He's right there. You feel outnumbered, you feel ashamed that you're the only Christian in the family, God's got your back. If it is of God, it will stand the test of time. Lord, I want to be a servant. Lord, I want the spirit of Daniel. I want the courage of Joseph. I want the tenacity of Esther. I want the leadership of Deborah. I want to be like that little girl who was a servant, a slave in Naaman's home, but spoke about God. I want to be Elijah. There's 1,454 prophets. I'm by myself. I want to be Elijah. I want to be Mary and accept the responsibility of birthing the Savior in the midst of chaos and gossip. I want to be Peter. I talk too much like Peter. But I want to have the courage to preach the gospel and live it. But most of all, I want to be like Jesus. Heads bowed, eyes closed. I have, I have taken a risk this morning. Preaching about becoming more. When I need to become more myself, Lord. I don't speak to my brothers and sisters because I'm better than them but I speak to them because I'm one of them one day the disciples Lord we believe help our unbelief the desire to be more is there nobody came here because they want to waste their time and be seen Lord your people are here because they want to be more they just don't know where to begin sometimes sometimes the voice of the world is louder than that of the spirit by choice
And so, Heavenly Father, I pray that you will continue to make them uncomfortable. I pray that somebody walks out of this place offended for the gospel, asking why did he have to go and say that? Now I got to do the work. I pray that somebody here will be like, I, I got to be more. This, this is not enough. I'm, I'm, I'm not where I should be. I, I got to be more. I'm praying for them to become possessed. I'm praying for them to aspire, to desire not to belong to the special groups and the, the, the popular groups of this generation and to belong to particular face groups and Instagram, uh, have, have particular people follow them. I pray that they join Jesus' group. It's not popular. In, in fact, it gets attacked more often, but, but that group is going to be standing when the dust settles. And so I pray that each of us may find our portion in Jesus. But above all things, Father, we pray for power. The kind of power we can't get on our own. The kind of power that we know we don't have. We've tried to do it our way. We've screamed at each other. We've shouted at each other. We've spoken about each other. We've gossiped. We've broken each other down. We've insulted one another. We've shaken hands with a knife in our back. But now we recognize that don't work. We got to do it God's way. Father, we want to be of God. Possessed, portioned, and empowered. Hear our prayer. In Jesus' name. Amen.